Um, here's what we're going to do. Uh, the plan for today is we're just going to talk a little bit about justice. Actually, it's probably the plan for the next few weeks. We're going to uh, open it up and uh, just dive in a little bit this morning around what biblical justice is. The reality is, oh shoot, there Ava, she's going to hit the dinger. Okay, I have a daughter who just continually makes fun of my common phrases. And she's been pointing these things out. And so now every time I say like interesting or the reality is, um, it, it, she's just in my head chirping me. Okay, so this is what it means. You know, when you have kids and they get older, they'll chirp you. Anyways, the reality is though, there's a lot of talk right now around social justice Amongst the global pandemic we're in, obviously there's been lots of talk about racial injustice and things going on in our world around racism. Um, and there's just a number of things around the poor and the vulnerable. One discussion that hasn't been a lot at the forefront is we talk about COVID in the West and what it means for us, but we don't realize how it's ravaging developing countries around the world. And I, and I, I get it. Like We're so focused right now on ourselves and getting our lives together in uncertainty that sometimes we forget the marginalized and those around the world. And so we want to we want to drill down on this, but one of the reasons why honestly guys is because there's a lot of talk about social justice um, even amongst Christians, but there's a lot of times not a connection to biblical justice. And this is a massive theme in the scriptures. If you remember a year ago, we did a series called From Redemption to Recycling, and we took one week to talk about this. But the plan is, is to kind of till the ground a little bit around biblical justice today. Next week, we're going to join in on Freedom Sunday and the work of IJM, International Justice Mission, and what they do in helping relieve people around the world from slavery. We're going to hear some stories, and they've put a little bit of a liturgy together for churches that we're going to join into. And I just think this is an important discussion right now, especially in our time and in our moment with all that's going on, because there's a lot of talk right now around justice. Um, but do we understand at the core of it that God loves justice? So here's my plan for the uh, today, and if you're listening, and uh, as well after this, we know some people listen in. But um, what I want to do is I want to do a few things. One, I want to look at two key words in the Old Testament that are really important that we need to kind of get a hold of in our minds. And so uh, we're going to talk about that for a minute. We're going to look at Romans chapter 3 really quickly. So if you have a Bible and you want to open it up, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. Then... I'm going to make really just one big point that I hope we can all take away. And then my goal at the end is actually, instead of doing an altar call virtually, <laughs> that wasn't funny, okay. Um, instead of, uh, yeah, doing a, virt a virtual altar call, what I thought I would do is I'd put some resources in your hands because I think some of us are pretty passionate about justice and learning more about this. And the hope is over the next few weeks is to give uh, our community some deeper conversation because the reality is, oh my goodness, said it again. Ava, you're killing me. Um, the reality is, is that uh, we don't have enough time. Uh, the next 20 minutes or so we have here that we talk, this conversation needs to go farther. And so for some of you that want to take it farther, we want, I feel like it's part of the role of the church to really equip our, our church community with, with resources that you can jump into. Okay. So in the Old Testament, Israel's story is a complicated one at times, but as you know, they are this community that's called out to be love and light in the world. The world is broken and torn apart by sin, and so one of the things we get is a picture is that Israel, this community through Abraham and his line, would be a family that would help God set the world to right. That the sin and injustice and everything that was ripping the world apart at the seams, that God wanted to use this family to really help him in the world repair 
humanity and all that was all that had gone wrong. And so there's this law over Israel and there's some weird stuff in there. It kind of can feel like at least at a cursory read because it was thousands of years ago. But overwhelmingly, there's this idea that the Old Testament law and the Old Testament itself is overflowing with a few things. One, commands concerning the poor. You can't read the law very far. In Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you get into the heart of these things. There are all sorts of laws uh, concerning the poor. Then there's blessings on those who serve the poor. So there's clear blessing for people who serve the poor, that this would be part of Israel's, the fabric of their DNA would be to, to level the playing ground, to help those that are marginalized. And then, and we don't talk a lot about this, but in the, in the law, in the Old Testament, there are consequences for not serving the poor. Again, something we don't talk about a lot, and I get it, but there's actual, there's very clear commands to be a community that serves the poor. With all that said, um, scholars sometimes call it the trifecta of communities or people that need to be cared for by Israel in the Old Testament. The orphan, one, the widow, so the orphan, the fatherless, the widow, those who were alone, um, particularly in the ancient Near East, that was primarily women. I know now we use the word widow uh, for anybody who's lost a spouse and is on their own. But um, in that community, women were very much left vulnerable. Uh, remember, shorter lifespan at times because of just the moment they're in. And um, again, the culture would lean to widows and women being left on their own. And then the third in this trifecta was the foreigner. That's what the scriptures call it. If you have the NIV, the foreigner, or maybe what we would call today the illegal immigrant. And so God's heart is that the community of Israel would be this people. And there's all sorts of laws about not over harvesting your grain so that there's food for the community. There's equity. There's a, there's a leveling amongst the community of God to be these people where everybody is welcomed in and everyone is cared for. A beautiful picture. And again, I know like skeptics will get into reading some of the nuances of that and go, what the heck is this? You have to remember it's a couple, it's thousands of years but at the heart of it, God is for everyone and God is for those on, on the margin and he's calling his community to be this. And so there's two really central words that run throughout the Old Testament. And these words are used in the Hebrew Bible over and over. We read them in English as justice and righteousness justice and righteousness. So uh, the, if you read the scriptures at all, you even saw it today in the Psalms that the word righteousness was used. And I didn't even realize that until we read it again, but over and over, these are themes. And what I want to do is I want to take two seconds and just drill down on these words. Okay. What is justice? Well, in the old Testament, the word in Hebrew for justice is this word mishpat. Can you say mishpat with me? Just be really smart. You're all Hebrew scholars. You can impress somebody at lunch, maybe, maybe not. Um, this word mishpat is a word that if you read in Hebrew is used over and over. It's actually used 400 times in the Hebrew scriptures. And it's often translated as justice in English or judgment. It can also be translated as plan or verdict one of the things you see around this word mishpat is that mishpat is actually the nature and character of God. Justice is this, this character of, of God. And, um, you know, this word is often shaped, like the understanding of it is shaped as a word that comes into play 
Only when things have gone wrong within God's original vision of shalom and peace. And ultimately, it's a word that's used when restoration is needed. Um, You know, for many of us, we think of justice, and we even have some lawyers in our community. Shout out to you guys. We love you guys. But we think of justice as a judicial term primarily. But actually, in the Hebrew context, in the Bible, it's actually, it has more layers than just a judicial word. It can be used in a judicial, it can be used in judicial terms, but it was basically based on relationship. One person, they define mishpat as the restoration of a situation or environment so that equity and harmony are promoted in the community. So it's not just justice in the sense of like maybe what we think in the Western context where somebody gets what they deserve, but it's relational, it's restorative. And so at the heart of it, when you think of mishpat or justice, when you read this word, if you pick up your Bible in the Old Testament, think of a word that means setting things right. This is what mishpat or justice means, setting things right or right order. When you read in the creation account, God had an order for his creation and We know human rebellion rips that at the seams, but this idea of mishpat or justice is right order, God's order. You know, it was interesting as I was, I said interesting there too, dang it. It's like a bell going off every time. Anyways, uh, Mishpat, uh, as I've been kind of searching through this and, and reading some things, was also used at times in the Hebrew Bible to describe a person who's given a plan to create a physical space for God's presence. A form of mishpat was used. I think a beautiful picture for us of that preparation or that that place of God's rule and God's reign. And then, of course, it can be used in, in terms of individual rights and legal governing. But when you think of this word justice in the Hebrew concept, in, in, in as God um, ruled over Israel, it was very much a, an understanding of setting things right, to set things right or to bring right order. So that's mishpat, okay? Now, the second word... And if you've been a Sunday school kid, you've probably heard this word a lot. We don't use it in our culture as much anymore. But is the word righteousness? Righteousness. Now this word is tzedakah. Tzedakah, can you say that? My Hebrew isn't very good, so it doesn't really matter. It's all good. But this word righteousness is used over and over as well. If God loves justice, which... Actually, it says straight up in the Psalms a number of times that God loves justice. Psalm 38 says it. The Bible also talks about, and the Psalms do as well, that God loves righteousness. And just like justice, righteousness is the nature and character of God. It's who, it's who he is. I think the best, uh, the best understanding of tzedakah is the, the a translation or ID in our head is basically it means God's standard or doing and living inside of God's standard. Now, distinction needs to be made here. We're not talking about living up to God's standards. So many people have this vision in their head that they've got to somehow live up to God's standards. It's actually quite the opposite. This idea of righteousness is living in God's standards, living in God's reign so that it shapes our lives into right living. You've often heard us say that when we use this word righteousness, we often talk about right living. That as we live under the rule of God, It then does something within us to live right out into the world. And so righteousness or tzedakah is right, it does right, and it makes right. It is right, righteousness is right, it does right, and it makes right. 
This word tzedakah also at times, uh, versions of it in the Old Testament can mean saving action, talking about God's saving action. So basically the Old Testament picture of righteousness is attractive. It's living under God's rule. You know, when we talk about righteousness in our culture, people roll their eyes as though you're prudent. You know, there's kind of this negative view. Oh, you're a righteous person, eh? You know, we've, in our culture, we've kind of created the opposite where we look down on that. In the Old Testament, it was this beautiful, sedekah was this beautiful, attractive word that described living under God's rule and then your life being changed to go on the outside and live it out. And so what do righteous people do? Well, if you pick up Psalms, Proverbs, if you pick up the Old Testament, you see a litany of things that righteous people do. And the scripture has all sorts of attributes of the righteous. Just read it. Just pick, again, if you read through the Psalms, this is who the righteous are and this is what they do. And ultimately, it all flows out of being under the rule of God. Justice, setting the world to right, right order and righteousness living in God's rule, a beautiful picture of what God has called his people to do. And the same is for the church. And we're going to get to Romans 3 in a second. So you have, my friends, Mishpat and you have Sadakah. Now, what's unique is that these two particular words are not just used on their own when we talk about justice and righteousness. They're also used a lot together. I think over 80 times in the Old Testament uh, mishpat and tzedakah, these words are used together. Now, you may be thinking, why does that matter? Like, is it lunchtime yet? Well, I mean, this is virtual. You can do whatever you want. You can shut it off if you want. Don't do that, though. We're going to have some fun at the end here. But what, what's interesting in Hebrew is that when, use, when words are used together, oftentimes when you, words are used together and they're repeated, um, there's significance there. And when words are joined together... Um, they mean something sometimes that are, is different than when the phrases are used. On, when a phrase is used, it's often different and even times holds more power than when these words are used on their own. So for example, I was thinking about an English idea of this. Think of sick and tired. Any parents out there? <laughs> You've used this in the last six months. I, I mean, this is just confession time. Let's all be honest. You know, we use, sometimes use this word, I'm sick and tired. Well, in English, that's a little bit of an example of what righteousness and justice does. They're words on their own, but when they're used together, they, the, the phrase itself begins to uh, explain in a more powerful way a particular concept and idea. And so we use this word sick and tired, but righteousness and justice, they obviously have their own uh, individual meanings, but when they're used together, there's power in them. And when you trace it, if you trace it again, this is used over and over. Here's what I want to do really quickly. I want to play you a five minute video. We're almost nearing the end, I promise. But I think uh, there's a girl from the Justice Collective. Her name is Jessica Nicholas, and she's done a great job at explaining here wh why there's power and why these words, uh, mishpat and tzedakah or justice and righteousness would be used together. And I think it's this particular idea will help frame ultimately what we're called to do. Okay, so check this out. Give me a second, I'll, I'll, I'll tee it up for us. We talked about justice and we talked about righteousness. Now we're gonna talk about justice and righteousness. So it's a little bit nerdy, but stick with me. You'll feel super smart at the end. So 
So sometimes in Hebrew, when two words are joined together in a phrase with and, or if they appear in parallel verses, it means something different as a phrase than when those words appear separately. So for example, like in English, we have assault and battery or fire and brimstone, two great phrases. They, those words mean something different when they're in a phrase than when they're individually, in, used individually. So why do we care about this? Um, well, in the Old Testament, justice and righteousness as a phrase shows up pretty often. It shows up over 80 times. And God in Psalms 33.5 says that he loves justice and righteousness, which means he already said he loves this concept of justice. He loves this concept of righteousness. He also loves it when this, this idea of when they're joined together. So when justice and righteousness show up together. So what does it mean? Well, um, some scholars actually say that justice and righteousness means social justice. I think sometimes, yes, justice and righteousness can mean social justice. Problem is, is that justice and righteousness in the Old Testament is a super important concept. It's like tied to God himself. It's like really important. And in our culture, social justice can mean a million different things. If you ask 20 people, you'll probably get 20 different answers for what social justice is. Some of those 20 answers, I think, can mean social or justice and righteousness. Some of them, not so much. Even the dictionary definition for social justice, I don't think is a very complete one. So I have a hard time attaching this like super God-centered, important idea of justice and righteousness with an English term, social justice, that doesn't have one meaning and it seems to be changing every 10 seconds. So let's look at the biblical definition of justice and righteousness. Some of it will probably fit social justice, some of it won't. I don't actually like arguing about it. So let's study the Bible. So what does justice and righteousness mean? So to understand the meaning, we really have to go back to creation. So when God created the world, he called each part of it good. And he designed the world so that everybody and everything can enjoy the goodness that God put into his creation. So justice and righteousness means honoring and expressing God's intended order for creation. So it means doing things that lead to wholeness and restoration and prosperity. Um, so I know that that sounds very broad. I think an easier way to understand justice and righteousness is when you look at how it's applied in Israel. We don't really have um, time to go over all of it, but I do want to go over some like bigger picture, broad themes of what justice and righteousness were. How do we understand them in the Bible? What were they foundational to? So I want to start off with there's three areas that are three things that it says that justice and righteousness are foundational to. So they're foundational to God's reign, God's chosen people, and Jesus's kingdom and reign. So there are like the foundation of so many things. It, twice in Psalms, it says that um, justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. That means everything that God does is from a place of justice and righteousness. That means every action that he takes, every part of his character, it's colored with justice and righteousness. My problem with a lot of like justice and righteousness or like social justice projects um, is that we try to like take social justice or justice and righteousness and we try to take it out and we try to put it into like one category it's in like one ministry it's in like one thing that we do but really it's so much more holistic than that it should be part of everything that we do everything that we do is from a place of justice and righteousness the kingdom that we now live in is foundation the foundation of it is justice and righteousness so if we try to take it out of all of these other parts of society or all of these other activities we're really missing out. So if we truly want to reflect what God is like in the world, everything that we do should be from a place of justice and righteousness and should be colored with justice and righteousness. Um, so let's look at some other places that we see justice and righteousness. 
So justice and righteousness, they are things that God loves. They're things that God delights in. They're things he expects his nation to do. They're things he expected his leaders to do. They are things that Jesus is said to do in the prophetic pictures that were given in the Old Testament. Um, and it's said to be permanent when the Holy Spirit comes. So justice and righteousness, they're not small like side activities. I thought that's what I would find when I looked at the Bible was that they were like small side activities. And I can understand how to make like one ministry or something reflect justice and righteousness. But really, it's not a side activity. It is so important to understanding leadership, to understanding Jesus, to understanding what a Holy Spirit filled life looks like, to understand all of these things. Justice and righteousness are foundational to all of it. So I want to finish out with just a picture of what loving justice and righteousness looks like based on what we see in the Bible. So what does loving justice and righteousness look like? If you would have asked me 10 years ago what I thought it looked like, it would probably look like God loving rules and loving punishment and loving throwing lightning bolts on people who are extra special, particularly sinful. That was the picture. But really, the biblical picture is so much better than that. And it's one that we should be so excited to love, to embrace, to follow. Um, so this is the picture. When God says that he loves justice and righteousness, he's saying that he loves relationship. God loves when we are completely loyal to him. God loves freeing the oppressed from the oppressor. God loves when we pattern our lives after his life-giving order. God loves deliverance, salvation, and victory. God loves creating a heavenly norm on earth. God loves pe when people are given their rights. God loves restoring what's been lost, broken, or stolen. God loves environments where everyone can live in their fullness. Fullness. God loves good, unselfish governance. God loves laws that reflect the value and dignity of the poor. God loves re rescuing the poor and defenseless. This is a picture of what God looks like when he loves justice and righteousness. This should be something that we should get excited, that we get to reflect into the world. These are the kinds of actions we get to take. This is the kind of heart that we get to have, that we love relationships, and we love when the oppressed go free. We love it when the poor are given their rights. This is the kind of life that we get to live. So my prayer for you walking away from this is that you would start to change the picture that you have of God loving justice and righteousness, that you would love the things that he loves, that you would get so excited about reflecting that into the world, that you would get excited and digging deep into the Bible and learning about what this looks like. Yeah. I just thought that was really important just uh, to get her um, just to share over us because that is a great picture of why these words are used together. The world is in chaos through sin and brokenness, but this idea of justice and righteousness is joining him. I just want to, because our church is younger, we tend to get it backwards sometimes. We think God is joining us. We're joining him in the renewal of all things. This is the picture we get in the New Testament. We're joining him in setting the world's right, world to rights. Now, I know we're running out of time. We're running out of time here because we don't want to keep these gatherings too long. I understand like the virtual component of this. But quickly to the New Testament, okay? I just want to read something quick, really quickly. Romans 3. Now, I want you to see with the idea of Mishpat and Sadakah in the Old Testament, I want you to see something and even how Paul begins to engage this in Romans chapter 3. It says this, But now apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 
God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. There's the, there it is again. Because of in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, Lots there. Obviously, Romans, I have often said with our own community, Romans sometimes scares me because it's so deep and theological. I mean, scares me in the sense of teaching it. I, I, I want to go through it at some point, but I just know it's going to take like 10 years of my life to really maneuver it well. But with that said, the word righteousness that we read here in this passage is the word dakosune, dakosune. Now, you don't need to know that. There's no test. But this Greek word dakosune is actually the combination in Greek in the New Testament of these two Old Testament words. It's like they're brought together. Dakosune is mishpat and sadakah brought together. And because of this, it's just, it opens up our minds and our imagination that this is a word that has depth. Now, we don't use the word righteous or righteousness in our culture a lot. I've already said that. But we do use the word justice. And this would be the idea of justice in our context. And even right here, through the wordplay, the readers of Paul's letter in those early days would have made obvious links between Christ's work of justification for us, his giving his life for us and making us right. They would have linked that and their own righteousness or our own righteousness and call to justice in the world. We've disconnected those things, even right here in Romans 3. Our justification and then our own righteousness and call to do justice in the world are deeply tied together. And in particular, we see it here in the language with this particular Greek word. They would have understood that this act of reconciliation as a demonstration of God's own justice and righteousness in the world is a gift that enabled them to love God with their entire lives and to live rightly and justly with the people around them. And again, we cannot, you can't tear those two things. You can't tear your own salvation and God's work in your life apart from living and joining God in the restorative work in the world. Anybody with me? Nod nod your head. Give me a virtual little woo-woo. Give me, is anybody with me? I mean, this is, This is deeply important. Uh, Tim Keller, he put it like this, the great Tim Keller. He says, justice and justification are joined at the hip. So God's work in us to justify us. And now the work of justice that we join into in the world are joined together. That's the point I want to make. These words run throughout the Bible, justice and righteousness. God loves justice. He loves righteousness. He loves justice and righteousness. And he's called us to live this out as a community. And here's the point I just want to make quickly. I just want to say, and I'm not really concerned about this in our community because I think uh, you guys think very well. We have such a beautiful community. But just on an evangelical level in our moment, I'll just say this. If your gospel is simply that Jesus saves me from my individual sin so that I avoid hell and go to heaven when I die, then your gospel is too small. It really is. Now, I'm not saying that there's important parts in there. 
I'm not saying that obviously Jesus died for our sin and took it upon himself. And obviously heaven is a reality. I don't think hell was ever something that was shoved in people's faces per se, especially in the scriptures as something that, you know, was coercive to try and sneak or, or get people into heaven. That's, I don't think that, but I do think heaven is a reality. But with that said, we have minimized our gospel now to pray a prayer or quick Jesus came to save you from your individual sins so you float off to heaven when you die. And I just want to say again that that gospel is too way too small. This good news is that Jesus has come to deal with sin and take it upon himself. And he's bringing his kingdom to bear. Just as things were in right order in the beginning, they will be in right order as heaven comes to earth. And in the meantime, part of the gospel leads us to participate in it or to embody it as a community. And so we are called as people to love justice and righteousness and live this out. There's so much that could be said. I mean, a few minutes here is not going to do this justice, but I do think this is something we need to chew on. The church needs to be this community that reflects this, that we've been justified and now we work for those who, we level the playing ground. We, we work for equity, all the things that we're seeing in our culture in our moment. And I'll say this too, um, you know, I'm at a point right now where sometimes I feel homeless in this idea of justice and social justice. I have, and I don't mean to go conservative and progressive, I don't like that language as much, but I know a lot of conservative folk that are purely interested in saving souls and getting souls to heaven, and that's it. We're just trying to get people to heaven when we die. And I don't feel comfortable in that camp because I think obviously the gospel is way bigger than that. I also feel homeless at times because I think there's a lot of people my age, I'm still young, I think, that are in, even in the church, are into social justice and justice, but have completely disconnected it from King Jesus. You know, I don't, I'm not convinced, I think we said this last week, I'm not convinced right living on its own is going to get us to our end goal. The king is going to get us to our end goal. One of the concerns I feel right now is we want justice. We want equity for all. And some of the things we've even seen in the last number of years around the marginalized and racial issues and all this, we want, we want equity and equality for all. And I'm, I'm right here with that. But we want it apart from the king. And I actually think it's impossible. We can't just usher this in on our own. We have to join God. And so sometimes I feel homeless in this conversation because... When you look at Mishpat and Sedekah and the rule of God, it's so integral and important part of the story. It's the entire story. Jesus is the entire story. With that said, okay, um, just a few resources, and we'll send some of this stuff out to you guys. The Bible Project, I know I just keep going on about Tim Mackey and those guys at the Bible Project, but they do a, sh- uh, not a short, it's actually a series on justice in the Bible. Uh, we will send links out for this. It is so good. The description, um, just how they articulate this, and we'll, we'll send that out to you guys. We'll probably release their podcast, uh, send the links out over the, the next week. There's a great book that I've been reading called The Justice Calling by Bethany Hank Hone and Kristen Dede Johnson, and uh, they do a great job talking about these two words, Mishpat and Sedekah, and the idea of justice in the New Testament as well. uh, The gal who shared, the girl who shared uh, this morning via video, her name is Jessica Nicholas, and she wrote a book called God Loves Justice, a user-friendly guide to biblical justice and righteousness. And then, of course, the great Tim Keller has a fantastic book called Generous Justice. We're going to cultivate this more. Next week, we're going to talk, and it's going to be great as we talk about how this is happening in our world, how Christian organizations like IJM are doing a great work and some of the things we can be thinking about.
With that said, though, here's what I want to do. We're going to pray, and we're actually going to close with a common prayer, because I just love that and think that's important. And then we're going to, like we did last week, take two minutes to bust you guys down into groups. We have some great leaders in our church. They're going to be in there. And if you have like three or four minutes, what I thought is our leaders could pray over you at the end. But I just would love maybe in these smaller groups to take a second and just talk about what do you think? That's, that's all. That's the, that's the question this morning, today. What, what, what do you think? What do, you, do you have anything to share? Is there anything on your heart as you hear about biblical justice and righteousness and what this means? And uh, leaders, if you can, just help close in prayer and kind of facilitate. We have some great leaders. That would be amazing. Sound like a plan?